station, but we're here for a real education. Welcome to A Real Education. I'm your host, Tim Wick. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Movie Spectre, Melissa Kersher. Hello! And uh, we are, of course, joined by our movie novice. We're going to call her our movie... Casper. Uh, <laughs> you didn't think of this beforehand, did no, you? I never do. Uh, and uh, this is, of course, Lana Rosario. Welcome back to the podcast, Lana. Why, thanks, Tim. Oh, you're super I, welcome. I'm here because I've seen almost no movies. And... That's good, because you haven't seen the movie we're going to see tonight. I don't even remember what it is. Ha-ha! Even Sweet! better. <laughs> I'm so happy. So, uh, so the movie we are going to watch tonight is called The Haunting. So Ooh. what we're going to have you do, Lana, is tell us, what do you know about The Haunting? It's got a cool title. Yes. Yes, it does. We can we can confirm that it's in a non-spoiler fashion. I, I uh, specifically, when you emailed me, I didn't look it up or anything. I closed my ears to everything, so I know I know nothing. Perfect. It's awesome. Well, I love great. it. So oh, I have a question. Yes. Yeah. So do we get to watch it in the dark? Uh, well, I mean, can. we can we can turn out the living room lights. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I will note, uh, dear listeners, that the sun is not yet set. So mm-hmm. uh, it's working on it, though. Yeah, it's, it's it'll, dim it'll out be there. darkish. Mm-hmm. I think by by the end of the movie, it will be dark. Oh okay. yes, totally, um, totally appropriate. Because you know, watching something called the haunting, I mean, you can't you know have a sunny day for that. That's, no, well, I mean, you know, like <laughs> where you see the sunny day. <coughs> there it's are true. some ghost movies that are actually very creepy. Um, the Others immediately springs to mind, which is a ghost movie where uh, they make the light super scary. So it's it's very cleverly done in that mm-hmm. sense. Uh, but yeah, in general, ghost movies are, are often... I, I've just spoiled it, spoiled it a little bit by, I suppose, saying it's a ghost movie. Well, um, it's well, called I The Haunting, I think I could figure that one out. And I did say that you were a movie specter. Yes. So yes. Although, although we've been on this Bond theme thing, and so I was thinking of all the periods in between all the letters of the word specter. <laughs> I really was. You know, I should. I didn't even think of that. Da da da. da, da but I. But you know. So, uh, yeah. So wow. this is part of our, right. our, wow. our Bond series, except <laughs> this is Bond without Bond. Yes, it, because uh, we didn't feel like uh, following George Lazenby anywhere. So we're well, following Money Penny. Yes. It, Lois Maxwell does have a small part in this movie. So this is just kind of our way of like shorning. Yeah, I mean, the we, haunting wa- we wanted to do the haunting anyway, and this yeah. was just our excuse for getting to it i think yep. is a way exactly. of uh, is a way of putting it so this is a movie directed by robert wise we'll talk yep. about that a lot more later because he has a long and storied career and i'd oh, have yes. to look back through our list of movies i'm not sure if we've actually had him a movie he's directed not directed but yeah. we have had a movie he edited i know i know that i knew that and and we'll get to that later but uh wow your head is just Stuffed full of stuff. Yes. Well, that is Melissa's job. It is. Her job on this podcast is to have a head stuffed full of stuff. Yeah, now I, just now I know you, out. why you, you've taken all your hair off because yes. your your head is so full that it just can't take any more weight. Yeah, all yeah. the hair just falls right out. Wow. It's true. It's just full of facts. Well, that's probably why my hair is long. Full of stuff. <laughs> stuff. Your head is full of your head is full of movie stuff. It is. As it as it were. Uh, so what we'll do, since we really don't want to go into too much more about this film other than to say uh, it's based 
on a uh, book by the same name. Uh, if, nope. Uh, the well, title right. of the book? That's right. The title of the book is The Haunting of Hill House. Yes. By uh, Shirley Jackson. By oh. Shirley Jackson. It is, I would say, remarkably faithful. A yeah. remarkably faithful adaptation of the book. Um, and uh, there is also, which we will touch on later, I believe it's 1999. Yep. Uh, a 1999 remake of this film. Okay. Which, dear listeners, is horrible. Do not make the mistake no. of watching that one. I might one. have seen a scene of that one. Well, when, once you say Hill House, it starts. But there's also the House on Haunted Hill. There is and the House on Haunted Hill. Haunted Hill. I, and and I, might, dip- yeah. I might be confusing That this. is a different yes. film. But the, yeah, the, or rather, the, two different films, because yeah. there was also a remake. Of, there was a Vincent Price, and then it's amazing yeah. how yeah, many right? movies are made that have you know. There's only a few words in them, and they just kind of shuffle them around, jumble up, and then there's the Legend of Hell House, which is something else entirely. Oh, geez, yeah, Louise. it just yeah. it just keeps going. So, in any case, we're going to get going. I'll watch them all with you guys. It, it, sure. It's I ghosts love... all the way down. It's ghost, great. Ghost, 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 specter. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we are going to be on our way to go watch uh, the haunting, and you should do the same. And we'll be back to talk about it in just a little bit. An evil old house, the kind some people call haunted, is like an undiscovered country waiting to be explored. Hill House had stood for 90 years and might stand for 90 more. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there, walked alone. And we are back. Many creepy statues have had really weird <laughs> close-ups <laughs> and uh, a lot of lot of uh, uh, stomping. Echoing oh yeah, stomping yes. has, has occurred. <laughs> That's yeah. probably what I should have used for the for the uh, the sound the sound in between the, yeah, the first just, segment and just the, thudding the second. and thudding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't. Or I I mean I maybe I will. Who you knows? might, you might. Now I'm talking in the past tense about something I haven't done yet, which is the magic of podcasting. This anyway, is amazing. So Lana, this is your first time watching The Haunting, so that means your job is to tell us what you thought about the film. Oh my god, I have so many thoughts. Yes. <laughs> first of all, okay. Love it. Love it. So, we're back. Let's let's start with the light because, you know, the light was just waning after we had shut off the uh-huh. the indoor lights and it just reminded me of of the afternoon monster movies that my brother and I used to watch and I was like giddy. <laughs> just as yeah. we're starting and it's giddy. Um, wow. The first thing I noticed is I love the way this is filmed. I love Isn't the it cinematography. It's it's the stuff that people like try to satirize now, but they don't get it right. It's it's not quite as melodramatic as some of the movies, you know, with a band of light across the eyes. Mm-hmm. But they make use of every shadow and the nubby texture, you know, tweeds and velvet and uh, oh, oh, I just I just want to hug and kiss the set decorator. Oh. Every Victorian tchotchke on any lot was on that set and all the texture and the lincrusta and the and the paneling. Wow, that's a big word. I like mm-hmm. that word. Oh, you can tell I love Victorian houses. Um, Elliot Scott's your man. <laughs> oh my God. Half the time, I'm not sure I was paying attention to the plot, what there was, I was just looking. 
it was just so much fun visually. It was a feast. Yes. And it's, yes. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had an inkling that you'd really enjoy this movie for various reasons. <laughs> well, you know, the the, yeah. the Halloween queen loves loves a good, you know, mysterious set, provocative set. And, oh, yeah. That was... So visually, I was very, very happy. I'm also really happy. This is stupid. I'm really happy to see female stars of a movie that have lines on their faces. Yeah. Oh my God! You can't you can't find that mm-hmm. now unless somebody's in their seventies. You know, everybody just like between the ages of thirty and seventy five, somehow their face just freezes up. So that was actually fun because you could see emotion on their face. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so that's that's a good, I don't know, 50% of the movie for me right there. <laughs> okay. There, there are so many Except things to dressing like about and this women movie. with lines on their face. Oh, yeah. 50% of the movie. All right. Well, Elliot Scott was a huge part of what makes this uh, this movie work, and Elliot Scott being the uh, art designer. Uh, he was the guy who uh, did all, you know, all the set design and um, all those crazy, like, tilted mirrors. Oh, the and, mirror shots. Yeah, it, the the sets <sighs> had all had ceilings, so they had kind of this claustrophobic feel mm-hmm. to them. Uh, just all the, the weird... Uh, details that are just everywhere and you know he's collaborating heavily with Robert Wise who is a tremendously visual director like even more than most directors are he's really really into cameras and, and the into, camera angles yeah camera angles and well he started as an editor too so oh, he geez. really knows the craft he knows editing he knows cameras and so he's really collaborating with uh, his crew to make this just visual space that doesn't quite make sense it's kind of tilted and shifted and a little warped and claustrophobic and uh, he does a really yeah. good job too in the way the film is is directed yeah uh, the, the way the characters move through the space what he never does is any kind of following movement so it's very hard to get any idea where any of these rooms are in relation to any of the other rooms mm-hmm. and when when the characters are talking about how difficult it is to find their way around the house he accentuates that by making you the audience completely unaware of where they are mm-hmm. in relation to anywhere else in the house uh, you know and I, I think that's that was really smartly done and the way that that he chooses deliberately chose camera angles that are not natural. Oh, yeah. My, and, my and, two favorite yeah. camera shots. Yeah. One of them is when the second wife falls down the stairs and you see everything upside down and then you see her face because her head is upside down. So yeah. it's like you're seeing the dead woman's viewpoint. It's like... Yep. I just like yeah. There's and but there's that beautiful yeah. with that beautiful uh, mirror shot. Yeah. When you're in the 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 dining room and you see three of the four people, you're just looking at this beautiful old mirror and you're seeing them all three of them in reflection. One of them, you're just seeing the back of their head, and it's like that is genius mm-hmm. because you're seeing it as they would see it. Mm-hmm. And it's like. 
why don't we do that now? Why? Yeah. Why? Well, because it takes a lot of planning, and you have to have a vision. And but, because yeah. some of it is showing you the point of view of the house. Yeah. You know, yeah. Some, uh, and and the, so the camera's of, just swooping around and, like, uh, swooping up, and everybody looks dwarfed or swooping down, and mm-hmm. everybody looks just and then it's there's warped. There's these, these crunch, constant gets a shots and, in scenes of... All of these statues. Yes, oh, that the are statues all are over so the freaking house. creepy. And and I mean, but but and the idea is, no matter where you go, the house is watching you. It has eyes on you. Yeah, you know, it, every shot is composed. So like, if there's a statue in it, that eye line is going somewhere. The crazy, yeah. the the one that made me start to giggle about it because mm-hmm. you yeah you notice you notice you notice because they're everywhere, but. Um, the one guy is standing in the doorway, and there's two little cherub, you know, half, you know, 3D things right on the on the door frame for no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not in the woodwork. They're just like ceramic. And it's like, okay, now he's really gone off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, okay, we have to have we have to have the face of something inanimate in every shot. <laughs> okay, we'll put him on the door. Okay. You can say, hell it! <laughs> and he comes up with like a hammer and nail, quickly he puts up like, a couple cherubs. I swear. There are no statues watching my actors. <laughs> yes. I, I need to watch them watching. Oh, it's, yeah. Yeah, so that just had me giggling. <laughs> it's it's bizarre the things you start to watch. And I'm I'm looking at wallpaper and I'm looking at, as you liked the word, Lynn Crusta going, gee, I you know, it's black and white, so I can't tell. Is that a carving, or is that just three-dimensional wallpaper? Mm. Mm. Well, and uh, the fact that it's black and white is notable as well, because, uh, what is it, 63? It's 1963, so, and, and there are still notable movies being made in black sure, and white at this point. Sure, but not nearly as many. No, uh, I mean, it, it's a the, deliberate choice by this yeah. point to make a black and white film, because, mm-hmm. I mean, a year later was... Um, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which was also in black and white, and you know there there are still notable black and white films being made, but but uh, you know this is well into the age of Technicolor, and what <laughs> Robert Wise really did prefer working in black and white, even though this is the film he immediately made after West Side Story, which is just a carnival no of color. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got to get into Robert Wise oh, in a minute. Oh, just we will. Because, oh, wow. we will. Because Holy oh my shit. God, so. He, he he had it in his contract. This movie has to be in black and white. So, like literally, many 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 years later, when Ted Turner was going through and colorizing movies, oh. he set his sights on The Haunting, and Robert Wise turned up with his original contract and said, "Uh uh-uh. uh." This contract says it's going to be in black and white. And so the haunting was never colorized. It, well, and it was so funny when all of a sudden they go, and this is you know the room is purple, and it's like. Oh, oh, that's not what my brain was telling me. Mm-hmm. Then I started thinking about, I thought about the Adams Family a couple times. One was oh, yeah. because the actual set of the Adams Family was pink, mm-hmm. so that you got the contrast in the black and white. But also, as as we were looking around, you know, as they first came into the house, I'm like, all it's missing is the big bear. Yes, <laughs> a giant <laughs> ominous bear. Yeah. <laughs> Which would not have been out of place, no, quite no. frankly. It, well, it'd be another face watching them. Yeah. It, would, it would make perfect sense. I mean, maybe that was kind of the statue. Well, that, that, statue that, weird, that is a weird-ass statue. Yeah, that's a creepy-as-fuck statue. Oh. That was like... The one that I that I didn't like, only because it didn't look real, was that 
big statue in the conservatory. Yeah, because it the, was the like, weird ass statue. It's like yeah. that. That looks like it was sculpted out of you know foam or something, as opposed to all the other ones that were real statues. You could feel the heft of them, and that one it was like. Well, they were kind of talking about how it was kind of a DIY job. You yeah, know, that one. Yeah, or it looked like but, maybe plaster. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. creepy. Anyway. It was creepy. It was creepy. I just like but, the idea that it's like. Uh, this isn't on any of the list of things that are in this house. Yeah, why is why it here? Why would somebody not have put this down? Why would somebody <laughs> not have mentioned it? It seems well, no perhaps, wrong. Yeah, perhaps they just, you know, missed it. <laughs> it's, it's very notable in this film because you are meant, and, and it's actually interesting in the book as well, mm-hmm. uh, that you are meant to question whether or not this is real supernatural uh, occurrences or whether or not whether our our main character is going nuts yeah although mm-hmm. although um, it's less it's less in the book because um, when uh, Nelson Gidding who is the guy who uh, wrote the screenplay uh, well, the the way that Robert Wise wound up making this movie was as he was doing post production on West Side Story, he wound up picking up Shirley Jackson's book and reading it, and he was terrified. He said, "This is going to be my next movie," so he sent it to Nelson Gidding, who read it, and he said, "Oh my God, this is terrifying! I'm going to spend six months writing a script, and here you go." And so Nelson Gidding, when he read the book, definitely interpreted it as this is. You know, it could be supernatural. It could be somebody going insane. It could be either way. And he really went with that concept as he's starting to write the screenplay. Well, as he was working on the screenplay, he actually met with Shirley Jackson. And she said, no, nah, it's totally supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, but I like the way you think, son. And so... <laughs> well, and, and, and I agree. I yes. agree that the, the, the supernatural elements are real, but I think the way yeah. it's written and the way this film is is done, it allows for that element yes. of doubt, that element of uncertainty. Yeah. And that makes it creepier. Yeah. Because you're never quite sure whether we're just watching Eleanor lose her mind or whether the house is making Eleanor lose her mind. Yeah, and uh, originally Nelson Gidding had, like, one of the earlier drafts of his script, he was going to uh, literally have it be, you know, she was having these hallucinations while undergoing shock treatment. Oh. And, and um, you know, I believe it was his meeting with Shirley Jackson, you know, made him kind of pull back from that, which makes it far more interesting. Oh, yeah. And so... That's kind of how that came about. But also, um, since the the original title is uh, The Haunting of Hill House, mm-hmm. it was actually during that meeting where they figured out the title of the movie because uh, Gidding and Wise both knew that they didn't want to name it that same title as the book. They just didn't like the title for whatever reason. I think and, probably the length. Yeah, possibly. And, and it was Shirley Jackson who came up with The Haunting. So... Ta-da! So, yeah. Yeah. Um, the the movie starts out with, you know, the the voiceover, oh, yeah. which is so you know, of the period, you know. It just reminded me of um the last man on earth. Is that the right yeah. one? Yeah. yeah. I've seen yeah. so few movies. Mega but man. One of my one of my <laughs> one of my friends had all these B movies and and so we had to watch that and it reminded me of that only Vincent Price when he's he speaks. Everything sounds 
so much bigger than life. So this just sounded... That's because any it's movie Vincent featuring Price. Vincent Price is, can only be improved by the addition of more Vincent Price. <laughs> that's absolutely true. So, yes. but, so I have it in my head, you know, that's kind of the sound. So this was much more low-key. So part of me is like, it's like, no. But it was, it was hearkening back to that sort of vintage feel. And I love yeah. that. I love that. Yeah, it's interesting that this movie... This movie kind of comes right at a turning point, especially in horror filmmaking and filmmaking in general, where like in 63, 64, movies really started pivoting to start to feel really, really modern. Like the first time I watched this, the thing that struck me was like, this feels like a modern horror movie. This does not feel like a 60s horror movie. This yeah. feels like Sam Raimi borrowed a hell of a lot for Evil Dead. You know, I, that I sort of thing. I was thinking that every, yes. every horror movie... Borrows from this, the you know the the door sort of warping. Oh yeah, it's and, the show and don't the, tell and, and the, the angles and all all the stuff that everybody uses now. I would argue every now. good horror movie Ding. borrows from this because there because a fine example of a horror movie that borrows from this and sucks is the 1999 remake Ugh. of The Haunting, which is yeah. awful. And we'll talk about that more a little. <laughs> Made by Jan de Bond. Jan de Bond. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. So, but, but we, should, <laughs> you know, we should really, we should really get back to talk about Robert Wise. Yes, okay. just yes. because he had such an amazingly long and very oh, career, yeah. and the, the the movies that he made that you've heard of, when you, when you list them all, you're like, it doesn't make sense that this one guy made all of these movies. Mm -hmm. You know, he got his start basically as an editor, and uh, on Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. <laughs> so so this, Citizen Kane. <laughs> he fucking edited Citizen Kane. Yes. And then he has he does does absolutely have some genre cred. He made The Day the Earth Stood Still. Mm -hmm. uh, he made this film, The Haunting. He mm -hmm. also one of his later directing gigs was Star Trek the Motion Picture. Yep. Uh, um, which Star uh, Trek the Motionless Picture. Which looks great. But it's a horrible, boring film. Yes. Um, Everyone was it, excited that they were all back together. All you really need are some stills. It looks great. Um, and, it's a but very then pretty he movie. Also and I love directed it. West Side Story. Yes. Oh, um, and The Sound of Music. And The Sound of Music. <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> and also Curse of the Cat People. <laughs> and, and Odds Against okay. Tomorrow, which is a fabulous little uh, movie that nobody a, remembers. I haven't seen those noir. last two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a wonder. <laughs> I mean, he did noir. He did, he did a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, oh, there, there's a brilliant uh, little noir that's like an hour long. It's called The Setup. And it's about a boxer who is part of a bad deal. And you know how that all goes yeah. down in noir. It's about an hour long. You can find it just about everywhere. And it's brilliant. And, um, yeah, it's lovely. But that that's a thing that I always have to point people at because it's, it's a when fun When you're talking thing. Robert Wise. And I mean, the yeah. thing is... Oh, and it happens in real time. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I've seen yes. it. Yes, yes. Um, it's the great. The thing is that, that I, just about any film Robert Wise had a hand in, yeah. you ought to check out. Yeah. It, it, they aren't all the greatest films, but, but he had such a sure hand and I think in The Haunting what you really see see is an amazing level of confidence with a very tricky kind of story oh mm -hmm. yeah you know you have very few characters that mm -hmm. you're working with you have 
a very claustrophobic setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot of your dialogue, which is delivered in voiceover, which can be really dumb. Mm-hmm. It it seems, but but there's really no other good way to tell the story. I mean, having her having Eleanor talk to herself yeah. would have seemed really comical. Mm-hmm. So doing that voiceover, but but doing that voiceover could have come out comical as well, and it doesn't. Yeah. Um, he but, also um, treads the very tricky thing, and this is one of the things that's interesting about the book, and one of the reasons I hate the 1999 film, Theo. In the book, is very clearly gay. Well, she's. Uh, it's it's subtle. it's more. It's actually. I think it's more obvious in the movie than it is in the book. But it's it definitely does or yeah, originate. The, the, well, the, the, book, I mean, the book talks yeah. about the book talks about how she lived with another woman, and it's really clear that yeah, and and yeah. And, and, and talks about a relationship ending, and so it it allows you to connect the dots. It's very clever in the way it does it, and mm-hmm. I don't think that she, you know, because given the time period. She, in, in literature, you could have had a gay character in it and it wouldn't have been a problem. It was only right. in film where you had to be really careful about how you relate those things. Mm-hmm. But uh, but in the film here, it, it's, it's you know, again, we're in the Hayes era, so the Hayes co- Code is in effect. And one of the things, the last things to fall, and this is the 60s, so they're starting to get rid of a lot of yeah. the, the taboo subjects. But homosexuality was still on that list and you did not ever have a character who is overtly homosexual or the censors would t- make you pull it. I like yeah, I like the way they did it, though. Not because, you know, obviously what you just said, but it was, it, you know, with our eyes, yes, it's clear to us that, you know, that she's, that she's not straight. But it wasn't so overt that you couldn't see where um, Eleanor didn't understand and didn't really pick up on it so much. Right. Oh, I mean, we're friends. To the to the point where, you know, and and they and they're playing that and in the book it's 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 in the book and they do a good job of pulling it out in the movie as well that Eleanor is a little bit attracted to Theo, but mm-hmm. she also has literally zero experience with any kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, she's a little bit creeped out by it. She's a little bit turned on by it. She's a little bit confused by it. Mm-hmm. It's it's nicely done. Uh, and and the, the reason I bring it up is the 1999 film, the Theo character, basically within like five minutes of being on screen, mentions that she has a boyfriend and a girlfriend. And it's just like all out in the open. Yeah. You know, because like it's 1999. Being a bisexual is no problem whatsoever. It's like, yes, but that's... What makes that relationship more interesting? Mm-hmm. And by just overtly blurting it out, the moment this character... Wa- I mean, there's so much else wrong with the 1999 film. Yeah. So much else yes. wrong with it. Just literally everything about the film <laughs> is wrong with it. Um, <laughs> except that Liam Neeson's in it. And even though he sucks, he's still Liam Neeson. Well, there's also and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Jones. Yeah, they're, they're, right. they're both wonderful actors in a horrible movie. But, um, but, but this, this, this film, Robert Wise's <laughs> film, just, just really manages to subtly communicate so many things. I think there were, you know, unless you were one of those people at the time who just didn't even get that homosexuality was a thing, you would walk out of the movie knowing full well yeah. that piece of it, even mm-hmm. though it was never overtly stated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Which, well, they, yeah. originally they were going to have a scene where uh, they showed Theo at home and um, it was clear that her girlfriend had just left because uh, the uh, the bathroom mirror had, you know, goodbye forever or whatever it was written on the on the mirror in lipstick. <laughs> yeah. And then she angrily wipes it off. So um, it was going to be more overt that she was homosexual, but the but Wise and uh, the screenwriter both decided that this is a movie all about not saying anything directly, mm-hmm. and so that seemed a little too on the nose for what they were doing. Well, and she that way she seems because you don't see her until she shows up at the house. She just seems a little more mysterious, and, and yeah. you question her her motives more. And well, I like yeah. that. And and she's also kind of. Well, everybody's kind of an other to everybody else mm-hmm. in this movie, but you know she comes in and she's like super stylish. Yeah, because they they literally brought in a different costume designer just to dress her. Oh, and it's beautiful. It's well, I they, want her clothes. They brought in Mary Quant to <laughs> to uh, to dress her. So Mary Quant, dear listeners, if you don't if you're not up on your fashion. Uh, Mary Quant was a British fashion designer who, in about 1955, opened her own shop in in London, and you know, kind of became this high-end fashion designer. And about one year after this, she was the person who raised the hemline of skirts several inches and created the miniskirt. Yeah, totally mod. Yeah. So yeah. So oh mod. yeah, the, the costume design for Theo is very mod. Yeah, she she is now Dom Mary Quant. <laughs> you know, like she's been. <laughs> she has been. She's a uh, Dom Commander of the Order of the of British Empire, of the, or whatever of the, the dress. heck it is. Yeah, or the less, or the mini dress, or anyway. yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> of the super short skirt. So. Let's see. What else should we talk about? The um, we've talked a little bit about Robert Wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I should talk a, just one more thing before I move on from him because you know he, he was such a master of his craft. Um, a lot of the really cool camera shit, you know, came directly from him. Um, the he was deliberately using a uh, this thirty millimeter experimental. uh, Panavision lens from, uh, I believe it was MGM, that they were developing but not quite finished with yet. And they weren't going to give it to him. And he goes, I will sign a contract and say, I understand this is a flawed lens because you're still developing it, but I want that. Because he wanted it to kind of warp around the edges and have all these weird distortions. But it also makes you feel like you're in it because it's not two-dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. And and beyond that, he he was getting infrared film in from Europe to film the exteriors of the house. So I it, wondered why they seemed a little blurry and and different than the, yep. the interior shots. Yeah, the like the the blue sky just go, goes black behind the clouds, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's infrared photography okay. <laughs> in black and white. In and black he, and white. Yeah, there we go. And and so he's and he's doing stuff like uh, this is like. Uh, Panavision scale, so it's like 2.35 to 1, the uh, the letterbox format in black and white. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's weird. I just love the works. exterior shots for the way that, whether it's a day shot or a night shot, yeah. the windows are black. Oh, yeah. You cannot see into that house. There are so many crazy lighting effects in yeah. this movie. The, the bit where there's it's just staring at the pattern in the wall and the lighting shifts and you see the face, you say a face and yeah, it goes back. Yeah, beautiful. Or 
uh, this is super subtle, uh, where they find the cold spot. Mm-hmm. The actors had specially developed makeup on their faces that showed up different ways in different light. So when they'd enter the cold spot, uh, the lighting technicians put different filters over the, the lights and different makeup would show up on their faces on black and white film. Ah, interesting. Yeah. It just... It, it makes me so happy. Yeah, the- <laughs> Back to the exterior shots, though. I ha- I was laughing so hard on the inside because you see this shot of this ginormous house, you know, uh-huh. and, you know, could probably house at least 20 people. And, you know, the story... Or spirits. It, <laughs> about the guy who built it. For himself, his wife, and his daughter. It's like, seriously? Welcome to England. It's Everybody ho- needs 3,000 square feet a piece. It's a it's a hotel now. <laughs> you can go stay there. Really? It's in Warwickshire. The, the, the woodwork is just Do the insanity. housekeepers stay after Well, the, the, the dark? interiors were all set. Oh, okay. But the, the exterior, totally a hotel you can yeah. stay in. Yeah, I mean, the exterior, you can tell it's a real building. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, I think uh, the... The, uh, another interesting thing is, I mean, the cast is all solid actors, but not actors yeah. that we recognize now mm-hmm. well, um, as much. Well, <laughs> oh, 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 ye of little faith. Okay. <laughs> I said part, now. Uh, no, 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 no. First of all, Claire Bloom's still around. Well, I did, um, <laughs> she, She's a goddamn time lord, okay? Uh, <laughs> 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 no wait, was it? Yeah, that was her. That that was uh, Claire Bloom. If I remember, where did I write that down? I don't know. You should go look know. it up. Yeah, she. Yeah, she was in. Uh, God, what was Maybe it? Maybe she was in Doctor Who. Yeah, she was uh, uh, End of Times. That episode where all the Time Lords show up. Mm. She's a woman in white. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that- so Claire Bloom, the lesbian, uh, who played the lesbian, I should say. She was. She's in the King's Speech. Uh, she played Hera in Clash of the Titans, the original one. Uh, she was in Limelight with Charlie Chaplin, which kind of shows the breadth of her career. Uh, she was in The Spy Who Came In From the Cold with Richard Burton. Uh, she was uh, co-starring with Laurence Olivier and Richard III. Just this tremendous career, but most of it was on the stage. So be, between, I know both, I liked her. Yeah, Claire, she is amazing. And, well, that, uh, I mean, as we've discussed before, she's a she's a British actor. Yeah. And one of the major differences between American and British acting is in England, if you're a screen actor, that's like a hobby. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. serious yeah. actors work on the stage, mm-hmm. and they all go back to it. They yeah. all go back to the stage because they view yeah. that as serious acting and they view film work as, well, I get paid well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as opposed to in America where stage acting is frequently hobby. a hobby yeah. for film stars where they're like, well, I've been making movies for a while. I think what I'd like to do is go and uh, do my Hamlet over on Broadway for a couple of months or off Broadway for a couple of months. And that, it's not to... decry either of those. It's just a very different mentality. In America, we view film as the pinnacle of acting Mm -hmm. skill. Uh, The audience, and I'm talking about the audience more than the actors themselves, but in England, they still view the stage as the pinnacle. Well, Mm -hmm. okay, I'll say it. You can tell when you watch their film work because 
the British actors just seem to have more dimension. Mm-hmm. They bring their their craft from the from the stage, which there's just a, seems to be so much more going on behind the eyes and in their heads. So that's my little soapbox. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So uh, you know that's. Claire Bloom, uh, she was married to Rod Steiger for about 10 yeah. years, the actor Rod Steiger, mm-hmm. and uh, they had a daughter named Airwolf. Anne. Yes. <laughs> Airwolf? Rod Steiger was an Airwolf. Yes, he was. They, they met in a stage production of Rashomon. <laughs> That's so <Right>? awesome. <laughs> they, and they had a kid named Anna. So Anna Steiger is a, uh, an opera singer of some renown. So there there, you go. there's that. that. That's how that family happened uh they eventually divorced after like 10 years but because you know, actors you know, never stay married but uh, you know film right. actors never stay married except paul newman except paul newman mm-hmm. yeah so and yeah tom hanks anyway yeah we so, could go on julie harris also a stage actress um very much more of a stage actress than a movie actress mm-hmm. though uh fans of the 1980s might remember her from knots landing because she was in like 165 episodes of Knott's Landing. Uh, she was also in stuff like Requiem for Heavyweight and Gorillas in the Mist. But she was a five-time Tony Award winner on the stage and for a long time held the record for most Tony Award wins until Angela Lansbury finally caught up to her. What a bitch. Right? 2009. And <laughs> Angela, Angela Lansbury is way too old to be winning t- Tony's. In Lies. <laughs> Lies. It's just She's unfair. Still it's just unfair. Yeah. Although uh, Audrey McDonald uh, beat them both with six now. Yeah. So. But uh, Julie but she's Harris. She's way younger, so she'll probably yeah. get more. Yeah. So Julie Harris, five-time uh, Tony Award winner, nominated for ten. Um, she had three Emmys, got 11 nominations for Emmys. She had a Grammy nomination and an Oscar nomination. So she, she worked in a little she, bit of So she didn't win an EGOT, but she, right. she was nominated for an EGOT. Yes. Yes. Which but, is something. Uh, she only recently, well, sort of recently passed away. She passed away in 2013. But what's impressive about, you know, she, she made it so long. It's like she got breast cancer in the 80s and beat cancer. She beat cancer. She had a stroke in 2001. She had a stroke in 2010. She kept working. Uh, <laughs> she worked those, right those up to theater the end. broads are tough. Oh, indeed. <laughs> yeah, so, but as I said, they aren't necessarily recognized to your average movie-going right. audience, these these actors. Right. Even people who are fans of classic film, they, they, they weren't Everywhere in classic film, it's not a right. a Cary Grant or or anything like that. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the yeah, like Richard Richard Johnson, few people would recognize. I right. mean, he's he was he was definitely mostly stage. Uh, mm-hmm. He was part of Sir John Gielgud's uh, uh, theater company. Uh, he played Bulldog Drummond in a couple movies, but that was the most of it. He married Kim Novak for a while. Oh, there you like, go. There you like go. nine months. And they get divorced, <laughs> but, you know. It was probably good for nine months. But Russ Tamblin, or Russ eight. Tamblin, though, has been around. He's he has still, been around. And, I mean, he's, you know, we talk about West Side Story. And, of course, he was in West Side Story. Yeah, yeah he was riffing West Side Story. He mm-hmm. was, he started acting when he was a kid in the mid-1940s. And, and so he's been in everything. 
because he he was in uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. He was in you know West Side Story. More recently, he was in Drive. He was in Django Unchained, so we've seen him before on this podcast. What? Uh, and I think most people of this generation know him as Dr. Jacoby from Twin Peaks. Ah. Uh, <laughs> but actually, actually, I think yeah. I was... Because I don't see a lot of movies. Yeah. I'm watching this going... I know that looks, guy. Yeah, and, and I know her from somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I, I think actually it was probably West Side Story I was picking up on. Yeah, yeah. it's very because, possible. Yeah, because yeah, it's within a year of West Side Story, he's super noticeable. You just start thinking Yeah, every now and again you want to see him break into dance when you went down the stairs, do a little skip. But... Uh, That's what I was missing. I was I was missing uh, a tone row in this music. <laughs> yeah, but all these char- yeah. all these actors uh, are predominantly, at least in film, character actors. Yeah. They all mm-hmm. had some leads, but they're all character actors, and that that I think really makes a difference in mm-hmm. how the film works because it's not about lead actors; it's about actors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an it, ensemble piece, yeah. right? Absolutely, and it has to be because there are only really four of them. You know, mm-hmm. yep. the the caretakers show up briefly, and of course, <laughs> our our good friend Miss Moneypenny shows up, goes to bed in the nursery. Oh my god! I mean, <laughs> you're just like, oh shit, Madam Oblivious. It's like, why didn't they all? No, if you're going to sleep in the nursery, we're all yeah, sleeping, sleeping in, the, in nursery. the nursery. We're going to have a sleepover. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, then uh, she uh, shows up a little while later, poking her head out of the attic, and then a flash in Car's headlights. Um, yep. A small but pivotal role. It's, mm-hmm. well, it's a very important role, but it, I mean, it's a... Mm-hmm. Primarily these four ca- actors. Yeah, you kind you kind of need somebody to sweep in and kind of take over the scene when she, when she comes in. You know, you just need an actress that can just take over and. Well, you need a catalyst yeah. because yeah. otherwise, you know, the same kinds of things keep happening, mm-hmm. and if you want something else to happen, you know, you have to introduce some new factor. Yeah, and uh, she's she's very much. Uh, Electrifying when she shows yeah. up, super. She she is a yeah. lightning rod that that draws all the characters to her before she disappears. Um, yep. And that that is really well. She's well cast and and it's well done there. I think the other thing that I really like about this film, they show us the various deaths of the the people back when the house was built. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, including this super creepy thing where the little girl is staring at her mother and tries to turn away, and the father's like, no, you will look at your dead mother. <laughs> well, <laughs> while I read the Bible. Yeah, oh. a creepy. But um, they don't show them as ghosts. And the amount of resistance yeah. that it took for them to decide, like, even at the end, you know, it surprised me that there wasn't the the ghost Eleanor walking into the house being greeted by the other the other ghosts that, that inhabited the house or something like that. To me, it felt like a lesser filmmaker would have made that choice. I was waiting for at least a shadow somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, okay, so I kind of liked that there. W- we get so used to all these special effects everywhere and blood everywhere, and oh my god, you know, how can we outdo the last special effects show? So it was it was a breath of fresh air that there were very few effects, even for that era. You know, there was the aging thing for the the daughter, nicely mm-hmm. done too, and, yeah, and, and then the door warping. That is pretty much it. I'm trying to think of anything else, but they. They did so much beautiful uh, camera work playing, you know, really playing up shadows. It's like, that's what I really wanted to see. I wanted to see even a flutter of, of, of curtains in the breeze where you think it's a shadow of something. And no, 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 that's not what it is. But I they just did wanted so much with sound. They did. Yeah. I'm a visual person. Yeah. I just wanted, I wanted a little more hint of something i don't need to actually see that it's there i want to see just a little was that a shadow was it a mouse i don't know (laughs) probably a mouse probably probably a mouse or a bear (laughs) (laughs) yes so we are getting to the point where we should probably do final thoughts Mm -hmm. um so uh, melissa we've covered a lot of the trivia about this film but Mm -hmm. i should throw final thoughts to you first to see if there's anything that we've missed that's important which i have no doubt there is oh there i'm sure yeah Yeah. surely i can find something surely uh julie harris uh when she was yeah, on set and making the film she really kind of avoided the other actors on set she didn't really socialize with them kind of focusing on her performance and isolating herself you know it's very method and mm-hmm. so uh, so she could you know have this kind of frail fragile role and Claire Bloom who likes to be friends with everybody could not figure out it's like what did I do <laughs> and so after shooting was done uh, Julie Harris got a gift and showed up on Claire Bloom's doorstep and said I'm so sorry I, I, w- I was doing this for the performance I, you did nothing <laughs> uh, you were very nice to me can we be friends now <laughs> and, and then they were friends so yeah, yeah. That, that, that's nice happy I, ending I, the end I'd also like to point out that this came out at the same time as Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds and Pauline Kael, the famous uh, movie critic, yep. uh, liked this much better than The Birds. <laughs> <laughs> well, imagine. Well, Pauline Kael did not like Raiders of the Lost Ark, so she's no. dead to me. Oh, well, um, speaking of Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, Elliot Scott, the set designer for this, worked on both uh, Last Crusade and Temple of Doom. As well as Dragon Slayer and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, oh I know right? I liked him. Yeah. Uh, Lana, final thoughts on The Haunting. Okay. So, I loved almost everything about this movie. And and I was even going, oh, you know, the older movies, it's a slower pace. And, I mean, the whole topography of, of the pace and the of this of this movie is so different from what we're used to. And But I was really loving it until the end. And all of a sudden, it was just like... It feels like they missed something. Okay. And so I'm going to have to think about that. Obviously, it won't be on the podcast, but I'll be thinking about it for the next two days going, what is it that I'm missing from the ending of this movie? Hmm. Well, that's interesting because mm-hmm. the ending of the movie is basically the ending of the book. Yeah. Uh, well, I, mean, I, I think I know it kind of like it's not satisfying enough or like the, the big climax isn't quite enough of a climax for the setup that yeah it's, there. it's just sort yeah. of abrupt and then everyone yeah. goes and we're done and we're gonna walk away and yeah, it's like she's dead now the house is happy yeah it's just yeah it was like 
they're just missing a, an ingredient somehow. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, I, I'd also like to say, um, <laughs> fans of 80s movies, check out Waxwork and Waxwork 2 because uh, they're, they're really cheesy-ass movies, but they have a lot of fun like 80s horror actors in them. And the, the kind of the waxwork theme is that the characters can step into the scene with like wax dummies in a museum and suddenly they're part of this. And it's an excuse to parody other movies. And in Waxwork 2, <laughs> there's a whole segment that is an incredible spoof of The Haunting. Ooh, <laughs> okay, starring that. Bruce Campbell. <laughs> and it makes me so happy. All right, my final thought, I keep saying I'm going to get to it, so my final thought is just a bitch about the 1999 haunting for a moment, because... Yeah, fuck that movie. It's terrible. Don't talk about it. It's, it's <laughs> terrible, and one of the things that it does is it takes the whole concept of this evil house idea, and it makes it all about how the dude who built it was this horrible guy who lured children into his house and then killed them, and now... Uh, the job of Eleanor is to save the souls of these children by defeating the evil spirit that controls the house. Saving souls? No. It it literally completely ignores everything about what makes this movie great and what made the original story great. Well, I I love that it's that this movie is kind of about her her greed for or her, her deep need for attention or to be the center of something or have something happen to her. But also a place of her own. Yeah. And a place to fit in. And that is an amazing drive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas uh, that, the 1999 haunting, fuck that movie. Don't talk about it. It it has a character being decapitated by a lion statue. It's just dumb. It's don't watch it. If you're, if you're like, Oh, this sounds super interesting. A real education listener who has never heard of this film. Yeah. I will go find it. If you find the 1999 film, if you look at the credits, A, it's going to be in color, so that's your first hint. Mm-hmm. B, you're going to see Liam Neeson, Catherine Zeta-Jones. You're going to go, oh, I like those actors. Just stop. No, don't Just do turn it. it off. You're looking for the 1963 one. It's going to be in black and white. Just <laughs> stay away. So... Uh, that's my final thought. Now, uh, the next movie we are going to do, I think we have decided. Is- Did we decide? I Did we actually decide which we've one? We decided it's going to be Live and Let Die. Is it Live and Let Die? Okay. I think we've decided it's going to okay. be Live and Let Die. It was either that or The Spy Who Loved Me. It's it's going to be the Live and Let Die or The Spy Who Loved Me. It's going to be uh, back to a Bond film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger Moore, who just a few days before we recorded this episode, dear listeners, passed away. So mm-hmm. it, it will be our memorial. For uh, for, for the Mr. longest Moore. longest lasting James Bond, the, yeah, the, and uh, so look forward to that. Uh, one or the other film, or maybe we'll watch both. I don't know if we get started early enough. Who knows? Who knows, who knows what could happen? Maybe we'll just watch all of this, and films maybe we'll just say screw it and watch Moonraker. No, no that's we won't. Not <laughs> Even I've seen Moonraker. That's you know what? Happen. It's it's a doofy sort of fun. Yeah. Moonraker. If, if you drink okay. enough. Moonraker is super bad. <laughs> yeah, but it's just. Not, it's kind of great bad. It's kind of great bad. But the bad. amazing thing about Moonraker, yeah. the thing that really I love about Moonraker is it's not the worst Bond film featuring Roger Moore. Right. Uh, there are. Which one is? Ah, uh, boy, I don't know. It's a toss up between View to a Kill and Octopussy. A View to a Kill. 
Butyr kill is yeah, really it's horrible. Yeah, really, it's really bad. Really but I kind of love it at the same time. But I love shitty movies, too. So, anyway, uh, that's, that's the next podcast. <laughs> yes. Lana, thank you for joining yes, us. Thank Why, you, Lana. thank you. This thank was you. so much fun. Yay! And we are going to be back to talk about the uh, late Sir Roger Moore. Sir. We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Real Education. Deep, deep,